Hello. QueerAF is now an independent community interest company. Our podcast's first four seasons were funded by National Student Pride, and so there might be some old calls to action in them. For the most up-to-date info on our podcast that funds budding LGBTQIA plus audio producers, visit wearequeeraf.com and sign up for our free weekly newsletter that sums up the LGBTQIA plus world and supports queer creatives kickstart their career. Enjoy the show. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Hashtag Queer AF is brought to you by UK Power Networks. They sponsor National Student Pride because they recognise that in order to sustain their business in the long term, it's essential to have diverse teams. Their LGBT plus employee networks provide their team with a platform to seek support and guidance. And through constructive challenge, they enhance their ability to be more inclusive. They also deliver mandatory inclusive leadership training to all managers. You can see them at National Student Pride's Careers Fair on Saturday the 10th of February 2018. The title of the podcast, Queer Muslim Sex Worker, I didn't choose that because I wanted to push how, you know, oh, this is so crazy, this is so unusual. I was trying to play into the fact that people will only look at those labels and generally won't go much further than that. So the whole podcast is obviously about going beyond that and listening to Mariam actually tell her story in her own words. Words are really, really important and language helps us tell stories. We can't really without it, but you have to look beyond it because otherwise, you know, what story are you telling? You're telling your your own as a presenter, really. Welcome to season two of the National Student Pride podcast. This season, we've rebranded and now we're hashtag queer AF or for your eyes only, we're queer as fuck. And I'm your host, Jamie Wareham. This season, our storytelling is changing. Charlie will be back just like in today's episode, but so will a role of student reporters and producers who will also be contributing to the show. I'll be here every week to kickstart us off, and I'll even be getting out of the studio myself. But for now, let's get back to this week's story. It's not necessarily about, you know, how kind of extreme can we make a story, how kind of unusual is a person. The main theme at this year's National Student Pride is about homelessness. So it seemed perfect to start our new season off in the build-up to our event with the documentary maker Amy Ashington because she's followed one queer young person's homelessness story. I don't want to like play up the drama because obviously it, like it's her real life but I think if I'd have experienced it I would have felt a little bit traumatised by it. Throughout today's show we'll be playing mine and Charlie's conversation with Amy as well as hearing clips from her documentary The Queer Muslim Sex Worker which explores how one young person lost their home after coming out. And if you were to describe, the, for anyone that hasn't listened, in a kind of few sentences, what, what does the documentary tell the story of? So it was someone that, that I knew through student media a few years back, um, and we happened to have each other on Facebook. And I remember that she put a Facebook status up saying something about how she was identifying as queer and Muslim. And I just thought it was really interesting, really brave, and kind of wanted to chat to her a little bit more about it. So I dropped her a message and we got chatting a bit more. She seemed very open about talking about it with me. Would you be interested in 
forming some sort of story. And she was really, really keen for the idea. We decided that we'd work on some kind of documentary, so we met up for a coffee, chatted. She kind of told me a bit about her life story, basically. I'm from an immigrant Pakistani Muslim family. I am a queer, gender-fluid sex worker um, who's currently in a relationship with a woman, and I am very involved in my mosque life. We sort of talked about ways that we could work on a documentary that might work for her. I sort of only really worked in video before, but I wasn't really wanting to do video for this because there was a need to sort of keep anonymity and doing that in video, I just thought it would have been a bit of a flop, really, because then you get into the kind of difficulty of how do you tell the story well, how do you keep it engaging, and you're going to end up having those kind of shots, you know, where someone's face is hidden and it all looks a little bit like seedy and sort of brings some sort of negative imagery and I, I just really, really didn't want to do that. So I thought a podcast is the ideal way, really. You're kind of free from any constraint of how you want to tell the story. Um, you don't have to yeah, worry about getting visuals that look a bit kind of negative, really. I think, really, it's just a kind of someone's everyday life. It's not necessarily about... You know, how kind of extreme can we make a story? How kind of unusual is a person? It's really just about someone's kind of experience of life, interacting with different spheres, you know, work, at home, family, friends, going out, their job, that kind of thing. The fact that her combination of identities is quite unusual, obviously, is super interesting. So what did you learn from Marion about gender whilst doing this podcast? I guess how fluid gender is really and how clothing and stuff can be, you know, just and is really just an outer kind of representation, how much you can play around with that. She sort of told me before about how she would change from wearing a headscarf to sticking on a pair of trainers and a pair of jeans and whatever. And it wasn't so much about looking at those two things as polar opposites, but just how much you can kind of interplay with them. And sometimes she would put her hair up in a turban rather than a headscarf. And I just thought it was really cool, you know, to be able to play with gender in that way. And I just think it was really brave and super interesting. Someone like me, who is ridiculously fluid, I change every single month. And then as it gradually went on, when I started university, I started questioning what a woman really is. Had you had many experiences with the idea of gender being fluid before talking with her about it all? I identify as queer myself, so, you know, it's not a surprise that people don't fall easily into male and female categories. That, you know, totally wasn't a shock for me at all. And I'm really interested in how people can, you know, come away from those binaries and those dichotomies really because to me personally they're really unhelpful and they're really restricting and they're not reflective of most people in society it's just something that's imposed upon us from heteronormative society so it is sex work in a way um, a way of gaining independence and having a bit of a backup if you do come out i mean i do work i work in a very high-end store which does give me a bit of pocket money to to live and to like go out and have a social life and sex work enables me to have even more income another really big part of this documentary is the sex work element and as marion puts it is a way for her to be independent enough to live the life that she wants i thought that was a really powerful phrase and i wonder what was your reflections when you first heard that what that tells us is that it was kind of empowering for her and possibly like a means to an end. One thing I kind of 
I don't really want to do with the podcast is come to a conclusion about whether it's right or wrong for her to have engaged in sex work. That wasn't what the podcast was about and really I didn't want sex work to become a huge part of it because really how queerness and faith intersect to me was really like, you know, the, the key kind of point to telling the story. That comes on to what I wanted to follow up with really was that like, you know, although you mostly spoke to Miriam for this documentary, you just spoke to a couple of other experts around to kind of you got that impression and one of the voices you hear is, is from another expert. And what I wanted to get get a feeling of is how common you feel it is for young queer people to have to use sex work to get that kind of independence that she was talking about. Well, I guess sex work, like any other type of work, really is a way of making yourself independent. It can be liberating. And then you've got the added factor that you can explore your own sexuality, your own gender, um, your own queer identity through that. The kind of opposing side to that possibly is that Marion was telling me about how she felt very fetishised within sex work. So a lot of people coming to her because of her race, because of the fact that she might wear a hijab occasionally, because of her faith. So it's kind of, yeah, it's really liberating to be able to go and explore those things. But I guess the kind of other side of that is that people are fetishised, people are kind of objectified, I guess, in a, in a particular way. After the break, Amy will tell us the tragic story of when Miriam gets kicked out of her house after coming out. And we'll also hear about being fetishised as a sex worker. In particular, we'll hear how one man has an incredibly unusual request for Miriam's tights. On one hand, he's kind of fetishising. On the other hand, he's sort of saying, oh no, but actually we have to kind of separate it. Which, yeah, didn't really add up for, for her or me, really. Thanks for listening to our brand new Hashtag Queer AF podcast. We're making this show to keep the conversation that is National Student Pride alive all year round. But we need your help to spread the message. If you believe in the story we're telling today, then tell someone else about it. Or subscribe in your podcast feed. And hey, if you really love us in your podcast app, give us a rating. All of those things help spread the Hashtag Queer AF agenda and put us in front of more people. And, of course, the whole reason we're here. You can get your tickets to National Student Pride now. 9th to the 11th of February 2018. It's the biggest student event in the calendar and also the largest LGBT plus friendly job fair, which is literally open to everyone to attend. Visit studentpride.co.uk forward slash tickets to get them now. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com acast and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com acast. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.
Welcome back. This is Hashtag Queer AF. I'm Jamie Worm. This week, me and Student Pride's Charlie Ann Mathers caught up with the queer Muslim sex worker documentary maker, Amy Ashenden. She followed Miriam, who has the tragic story told over a series of months in the full podcast documentary. But today, Amy is giving us just a few snippets of insight into literally one of the most intersectional people I think I've ever come across. Mariam also told me about one client who recently had an unusual request. One guy that I cammed for, um, he's Asian. He wanted to buy my the tights I was wearing when I was on cam, and he wanted me to wear them for like a good couple of days. I told him I was going to the mosque the next day, and he didn't want me wearing the tights at the mosque because he said even he has his own boundaries, which I found really interesting. Yeah. Because very hypocritical of me to say. If you're a firm believer in Islam, you don't drop that identity just to like jerk off to a girl on camera. There are always articles about young females who are in sex work and live these amazing lives. And any time that I've spoken about the topic with male friends, because the whole thing intrigues me incredibly, they always say, oh, well, you're not really independent. You're not really liberated because the man still thinks that he owns you even if you're choosing to do it and you feel powerful. You was with her when she was having that conversation. What was that like to kind of see unfold? I think she just was kind of like, what the hell? Like, on one hand, he's kind of fetishising, and the other hand, he's sort of saying, oh, no, but actually we have to kind of separate it, which, yeah, didn't really add up for, for her or me, really. One thing, you know, she points out in the documentary is that having a faith isn't, a physical thing it's a spiritual thing so whether she just wears the tights to the mosque or doesn't wear the tights to the mosque you know what difference does it really make if she still identifies as muslim then you know does it matter that she's stepped into the mosque that day or not one of the things i was interested to ask about was when mariam talks about kind of queer spaces and i guess in london that's mostly the soho drinking scene which again mariam kind of alludes to but i think the concept carries outside the capital what, what do you think about kind of queer spaces when you were chatting to her? Because she said it was difficult to go to them because they were so drinking focused. Yeah, I think a huge thing about queer community spaces is that it's so revolved around drink, which is really can be really alienating. Even if you are a drinker yourself, you know, it can get a bit much sometimes. So there's no space for queer people to actually meet unless you go to Soho. And if you're like a queer Muslim, you can't go out like past sunset. So how the fuck am I going to go out every single night looking for people to talk to who are in the same position as me? So again, my communication is limited to social media in my room, in my closet. So I met my girlfriend on Tinder. Thanks to social media, I am able to find that queer intimacy, if you will. But the bigger problem, really, that we kind of came across in our chats were that queer spaces are so dominated by white cis men, basically. It's a fact, really. I mean, people of colour, people of faith, they're so marginalised, you know. Even, like, queer nights out, you'll see that, you know, the mainstream ones are kind of set up for white queer people and certainly cis people as well. I ask this all the time with people, like, why does the LGBT plus community practise prejudice when we're facing it all the time? Well, why does any human <laughs> practice prejudice? Um, you know, there's a million and one reasons, really. Generally, I would expect that queer people to have more empathy in a way because you've had to go through so much as a queer person. For me, it's easy to be queer in the Muslim community 
than to be Muslim in the queer community. On the other hand, you know, the queer community is kind of broadly viewed as a white one by the media, um, by society in general. People of colour are so much less visible, um, the stories aren't heard as much. just makes it clear that it's for um, a particular type of queer person, which is really, really sad because our community is supposed to be for everyone. I don't think we look at how different identities intersect enough. I think we just look at being queer without a kind of erase that your identity could encompass anything else and just expect it to be about whiteness. Whenever there's kind of a minority, the majority will kind of try and impose themselves, I feel, um, and try and, you know, they just inherently think that a space must be for them, even if it's not. Um, and I guess, yeah, I guess queer spaces I've encountered, which are more like, you know, a book fair or, you know, whatever, they do tend to be filled more with queer people rather than straight people who might come on a night out to um, a queer club night. The clip about the arranged marriage really struck me. Uh, the form. Could you tell us a little bit about that and the form and how that works? Mariam basically had had a form, she'd sort of a profile of herself, being given profiles of men that possibly she could be paired with for an arranged marriage. I was reading it and it just said my name, my age, my brother's occupations, my parents' occupations and my academic status. She was saying to me that, you know, yeah, it's bizarre because on the profile, you know, her family described her as a student and all these kind of rigid, ordinary labels. And she sort of thought, that really says nothing about me as a human. Like, my personality is not there. Who I am is not there. And she was also telling me about how she tried not to kind of humanise the profiles of the men that she was being given because she starts to do that, you know, possibly it becomes a bit real and also, you know, it's not a reality right now. Right now it's just it's just the profiles and I think that's what she was kind of dealing with at the time. I was thinking about downloading Grindr and putting out a kind of like profile ad looking for a closeted Muslim man. As a consequence of that, she was using apps like Grindr to try and find possibly a beard that she could kind of match herself up with, who was in a similar situation, you know, a man that's gay or queer, that has their own partner or, you know, would be free to kind of live as who they are, and she would too, and they could kind of have some sort of arrangement which would satisfy kind of family pressure that she was, she was getting. And the coming out story, after the coming out, the escape, it sounds like a scene from Skins. Honestly, when I was listening back to it, it was cinematic. Like, what did you make of it? I don't want to, like, play up the drama because obviously, it, like, it's her real life, but I think if I'd have experienced it, I would have felt a little bit traumatised by it. And I think that's probably something that's not unique to Mariam's experience, you know? Coming out is quite a traumatic thing. Obviously, the way it happens and the fact that she's sort of literally trying to flee, run from the house, yeah, it sounds very sort of dramatic, traumatic and so on. For a lot of us, it is, right? And I had dinner with a friend today and he said, I think you need to slow down. But the way my mind works, if I slow down, then I'll have to think and then I'll be alone with those intrusive thoughts and I'm not ready for that. And having having these mental health issues is just putting such a strain 
on my interaction with the external world. Like just the smallest thing might just make me flip and I haven't yet, but I'm terrified to think about what would happen when that moment comes. Marin's had a difficult time and she's working through it and she's drinking a lot and she's doing a lot. What, what did you make of that quote? It's kind of sad, like people have told me that they've listened to that part of the documentary and they've cried um, and they found it really, really emotional. But actually, like at the time, I just, you know, not, I'm not talking just specifically about that one sentence she said, but that actual conversation, I was just kind of blown away at how brave she was. Like, she's just telling me all this stuff she's been through and she was just carrying on. Like, yeah, she was obviously at a point which was really, really hard in her life, but you could see how strong she was and that you knew she was going to be able to get through it because of all what she'd been through before, you know, and she'd still come back and we'd just, you know, had another conversation like we had before about how she was managing to deal with all these different pressures and... Yeah, I was just kind of blown away by her courage, really. Yeah. I don't think I've ever heard a more intersectional story, possibly ever. What can Miriam's story kind of teach us about intersectionality? We need to listen a lot more, I think. Even as the person, like, presenting the story, you know, like, I had to listen a lot. And I still, like, listen back to the podcast and I think, hmm, like, maybe, you know, I need to learn a bit more about that or, like, I didn't quite nail that part, you know. There's so much I need, I can learn from that one other person. And I think, yeah, we need to just work a bit bloody harder. <laughs> you know, listen to more stories like this and give people the spaces to tell those kind of stories as well. Amplify those voices, which is what I was really trying to do with the podcast. That's it for this week's Hashtag Queer AF podcast. Stay tuned for more from what you can expect from the season coming up. But first, a quick roll of credits. This week's show gives a massive thanks to Amy Ashington and the Queer Muslim Sex Worker podcast. Go and listen to the full documentary now. The link is in the show notes and on our social media, at Student Pride on Twitter for that link. Presented by me, Jamie Worm, and Student Pride press officer, Charlie Ann Mothers, production also comes this week from Cassie Galpin. Creative Commons music comes from Lee Roosevelt, Parva's Decree, Eternal Hope, Ravine, CDK's Like Music, AK's Love Story, and they are all from the Free Music Archive. With thanks to our sponsors, UK Power Network and Jacked, whose sponsorship allows us to pay for student producers and reporters. By the way, you'll always find their contact details in our show notes too, just in case you love their work and want to hire them as well. And if you're a student with a podcast pitch, or if you have a story to tell us, email jamie at studentpride.co.uk. We want to hear from you. Thanks for listening. We are queer as fuck. And of course, so are you. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. 
juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. 